following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. So today's our last uh, installment, our last Sunday in the book of Philippians. We've gone all the way through this letter to this church and so many powerful moments in this short letter as God inspired Paul to write back to this church ten years after he had been with them. And today's message contains two very important lessons for the church, but for Christians in general. And it put me in mind of a, of a story. I don't think it's true, but it's effective nonetheless especially given our current weather report for the coming week. Several years ago, there was a hurricane. It caused tremendous flooding for all the cities in its path, and people were using any means available to escape, be saved from the devastation. Well, there's a certain woman that climbed up on the roof of her house trying to get the, you know, above the water level, and she was looking for a means of rescue. These two young men were in a canoe coming down the street, floating near the house. And they asked, they saw the woman up on the roof, they said, can we help you? And she said, God will provide. So the water continued to rise, and then another man in a little bit larger boat that had a little motor on it pulled up by the house and encouraged the woman to get in before it was too late. She just smiled. She said, don't you worry, God will provide. And finally, the water was beginning to rise even up to the level of the roof and coming up a little bit. And about that time, a helicopter was hovering overhead, and the pilot used a little loudspeaker and said, Ma'am, grab this rope ladder that we've dropped down to you. We'll take you to safety. And to their surprise, she declined and just mouthed the words up to the pilot, God will provide. Well, unfortunately, the water was now rushing over the roof at a frantic pace, and the woman got swept away into the water, and she did not survive. So now she suddenly finds herself standing before God's throne, preparing to give an account for her life, and this voice thundered from the throne, Have you anything to say in your defense? The woman said, I've just got one question. I'm a Christian, I've read the Bible. You said in your word you would supply all my needs according to your riches and glory. Philippians 4.19. So what happened? And the Lord gently responded, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What would you want, an engraved invitation? You know, sometimes God helps. And we're just not looking in the right place or we're not ready to receive the help he sends us. Well, today, as we finish up this, this letter to this church, we're going to see several things, but two in particular that God does for his people. And I, I pray that it will minister to us today, and I pray that in, maybe even in a particular way today, it will speak directly to your circumstances wherever you may find yourself. We're going to look at Philippians 4, verses 10 through 23. 
the secret of contentment. If you'd follow along with me as I read God's Word, beginning in chapter 4, verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you lacked the opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you've done well to share in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you've sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Every saint in Christ Jesus, the brethren who are with me, greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for this word, and I pray that you will make it clear to us. Give us the understanding we need to be obedient to it, Lord. Apply it to our circumstances. Thank you for your word, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The secret of contentment. Anybody ever told you a secret? What did you want to do with it as soon as you got it? Maybe tell somebody else? Well, you know, there's, there's some rules about secrets. The best way to keep a secret is to keep it to yourself. And the second best way to keep a secret is just tell one other person. And there is no third best way. But Paul wants to share this particular secret with everybody because it is very useful and important. So the very first thing we see in this last section of this letter is a command disguised in a statement. Here it is, number one, be content in every situation. Be content in every situation. If you look at verses 10 through 14, which is really a paragraph all to itself in this larger section, Paul is saying to the church, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord because you have revived your concern for me. It's almost as if he thought, well, it's been 10 years and they know I'm in jail, but they don't seem to be doing anything. Then Epaphroditus shows up, a member of the church. He brings a gift to Paul for his well-being while he's uh, in prison, and it's a, an expression of love from the church. And Paul says that they have revived, he feels like they have revived their concern for him, but even though they're now showing some care for him in his situation, here's what he says. He says, 
I appreciate the gift, but I've, I've learned something. I've learned something in my struggling, in my suffering. I'm sitting here in prison. I've learned some things. Let me tell you about it. He says, I know how to, to get along fine if I've got an abundance of, of supplies and things. I know how to get along fine if I don't have hardly anything. So he goes to the top of the mountain and to the bottom of the valley. Regardless of his circumstances, he says, I've learned a secret. And he wants to tell him about it. Look what he says in verse 11. It's not that I speak from want. I've learned to be content no matter my circumstances. You know, last week we looked at verses 1 through 9 in this chapter, chapter 4, and we discovered something about joy. We discovered that our joy can't be dependent on our circumstances. You know why that is? If your joy, if your contentment, if your, even your happiness is dependent on your circumstances, what's going to happen when your circumstances change? Your joy, your level of happiness, your contentment is going to change. If you base your emotions, your feelings on what's happening around you, well, that changes all the time. Some days are good, some days are not so good. Well, I'm going to be happy today, I'm going to be miserable tomorrow. If I'm miserable today, maybe I'll be happy tomorrow. That's, that's a roller coaster that none of us really want to ride, I wouldn't think. You can't base your joy on your circumstances. You base your joy in something that's more consistent, something that doesn't change. Well, guess what? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So Paul pleads with the church... Don't base your joy on what's happening around you. Find your joy in Christ. Then even when it is bad, you can still find joy. Even when things don't work out like you wanted them to or maybe like you expected them to, less than perfect, you still have contentment. Paul says in this particular paragraph, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And then he gives some examples. He says, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. And here he says in verse 12, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. And you know what the secret is? One of the most quoted verses in this letter and in the New Testament, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I can do all things through my Savior, Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what I face. Doesn't matter how bad it gets. Even when it's great, it doesn't matter. I can do anything that God calls me to do through the power that He provides through His Son. That's a very uh, majestic, it's a powerful statement to make. For, for Paul to, to go through what he's gone through. Remember, when he was planting this church in this city, in Philippi, he was in jail then. And God, remember they were singing hymns, Paul and Silas singing in the prison. It was midnight, and, and God broke the doors open. And they didn't go anywhere. And you know what happened? The, the head man at the jail got saved because of that instance. So he knows what it's like to suffer. He preaches, and he usually gets thrown in jail. And he did that in Philippi, and then when he moved on, continued on his missionary journeys, you read in the book of Acts all his different journeys that he took, spreading the gospel, and now he's in Rome, he's in another prison cell. But he knows a secret. 
It doesn't matter if I'm out preaching and people are getting saved. God's going to get the glory and I'm going to be fine. Doesn't matter if I'm in jail because I was preaching and people were getting saved. Because even in this jail, guess what Paul did all the time? Those poor guards, those poor prison workers, sitting with Paul 12 hours at a time probably, and they get off their shift. Well, you're going to have to, I'm, I'm about done listening to him. All he talks about is Jesus all day, all night. It's your turn. I've had enough. So all the prison workers, all the jail guards are probably hearing the gospel 24-7, and who knows how many of them were getting saved. But the point that Paul is making is this secret doesn't depend on how good his life is. Did you see that? I can have nothing. I can have a lot. I can be anywhere in between, but I know how to be content because my joy and my contentment comes from Jesus. And Jesus never changes. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He's always right by my side. If I'm doing great, I can lift up my praises to God and thank Him. If I'm doing poorly, I can, I can be consoled by His Spirit. I can, I can be joyous and content no matter what's going on. That's a powerful secret to know. But look what Paul says to us, to this church and to us. When he says, when he reveals the secret, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I want to point out some examples of this verse being applied in the wrong way. Because, you know, we don't always understand scripture in the right way sometimes sometimes because we're human sometimes we read a part of scripture maybe we read one verse and we think well i think this means this this would make me happier if it meant this and sometimes we kind of go off a little bit and it's not in its context and we don't understand it in the right way so let me give you some examples of this verse which is very well known being taken out of context here's one i'm going to the gym tomorrow and I'm a bench press 500 pounds because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I don't care that I've never lifted that weight before. I don't care that I hadn't lifted half of that weight before. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to load that bar up and I'm going to lie down and I'm not going to have any help and I'm going to break my chest in half. But I'm going to rely on this. I'm going to claim this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How about this, a little bit more closer, close to home for me? I can teach and preach just fine. I don't have to study. I don't have to prepare. I don't need to pray. I've done this for 16 years. I've studied this Bible. I don't need to worry about it. I'll just get up there and talk. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm teaching Sunday school this week. Yeah, but I ain't going to prepare because I'm, I don't want to get in the way of the Holy Spirit. You ever heard that? Oh, I don't, have to, I don't even have to read the Scripture passage that we're studying because God will handle it. It's not how that works, folks. It's not how that works. God calls us to do something that means he empowers us and equips us to do it, but he do, it doesn't mean that it's a, a, a genie in a bottle and it's, we just, well, God will perform a miracle here. I'm not going to study or anything. It'll be fine. 
How about this? You should really do this ministry. It doesn't matter that you're not gifted to do it. It doesn't matter that you have no passion for it. You can do all things through him who strengthens you. See, that's not, that, that's not, a, it's not a magic formula to do anything we want to do and then claim that Jesus is going to give us the strength to do it. Does that make sense? What it means is when God calls you to do something, he will strengthen you to do it. And so we need to be very sure that whatever we're doing, when we're claiming the strength and power of Christ in us, we need to be sure God has actually led us and called us to do that thing. Because then we can rely on his promises, absolutely, no doubt. But we need to make sure we're not just wishful thinking, well, I, I, don't, I don't care that God didn't call me to do it. I want to do that. So he'll strengthen me to do it. That's not how it works. Just as some examples. Paul can do everything that God assigns him to do, and so can we. But he still commends the church, the Philippians, for sharing in his affliction and, and caring for his needs. So, number one, be content in every situation. Number two, be grateful for the provision of God. Be grateful for the provision of God. And I want you to see very clearly here from verse 15 down to verse 20, there is an inseparable relationship between financial support and gospel partnership. The whole point, the reason why the church was supporting Paul was because he was spreading the gospel and the church was an outpost of the gospel proclamation. So all the churches he went and planted, he didn't just, listen, he wasn't just on a world tour. He wasn't just on a, a very lengthy vacation where he stopped at some interesting ports of call along the way. He was planting churches. He was preaching the gospel. So his missionary journeys were exactly that. They were journeys during which he was preaching the gospel, seeing people get saved, and as they did, they started a church there. So that after Paul left, the people that remained, the new believers that he discipled, that got saved because he preached the gospel to them, then they could carry on the gospel proclamation. So it was this big, huge... If you ever looked in the maps in your, in your uh, Bible, they'll show you, they'll trace the journey, and you'll see all the different places he went and, and where he stopped. And churches are there where he went. He didn't just go and say, how you doing, and buy a little souvenir and then move on to the next city. The souvenir he got was the fact that people got saved when he preached the gospel. He preached Jesus everywhere he went. And so these churches then felt some, not obligation, but they felt compelled to help him keep doing that. So as he went, they said, hey, he's preaching the gospel. He's spreading the message of Jesus, and these churches are popping up everywhere he goes. We need to help support that cause because this is how the gospel is going to get to the rest of the world. People like Paul are taking that message with him. So... Paul notes that this church was the only group that started helping him from the very first time he preached the gospel. If you look at verse 15, he starts off that way in that next paragraph. He says, at the first preaching of the gospel, the beginning of the gospel, he says, when I left Macedonia, you're the only church that helped support me, giving and receiving. You're the only church. 
Even in Thessalonica, it says, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So they have continued this relationship. So let me tell you what that means. When you pray for a missionary, when you send financial support, how about this? What are we doing beginning next week? Janie Chapman, State Missions Offering. What are we doing at Christmas? Lottie Moon, International Missions Offering. What do we do at Easter? And, uh, uh, yeah, Annie Armstrong. I almost thought I was seeing it wrong. Annie Armstrong, uh, North American Missions Offering. Why do we do that? Why do we make a point to give specifically to our state, our nation, and the world because we're supporting the spread of the gospel. We are supporting people who are giving their lives. And by the way, every Christian in some way, shape, or form is called to give something, some way, to the spread of the gospel. If you can't go, you can give. If you can't give, you can pray. But there's something you can do to be a partner in the spread of the gospel. Are, are y'all okay? That was a great place to say amen. You just missed an opportunity. Because that, that, that was something worth saying amen to. Because every single believer... Sometimes people say, well, I'm not going to tell somebody about Jesus because I don't have the gift of evangelism. Really? Well, do you have the gift of obedience to God? Every, listen, every single Christian, if you're, a, if you're sitting in here today and you would call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're called to share the gospel. It, no exceptions. None. Search the Bible. No exceptions. Every single believer is called to actively and consistently share their faith, share the gospel with others who don't know. You know, you know why? Because God did something pretty amazing in you, right? If you're a Christian, He did. If you're a Christian, God saved your life. He performed a miracle in your life. You were destined for death, hell, forever, separation from God. And guess what? He changed your direction. God did that. God did that because He's good. He's gracious and merciful and loving and forgiving and kind. God did that. That's a miracle. You were, you were dead. <laughs> Read Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy, even while you were dead in your transgressions, he made you alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. It's right there in the Bible. God miraculously saved your life. That's a story worth telling. You don't have to have a gift of evangelism. Let me, just, let me just explain this real quick. This is not in the notes. You know what the gift of evangelism is? Billy Graham. A big event. An uncommon gift and ability to explain and share the gospel with large groups of people. That's more the gift of evangelism. The gift of evangelism is not sitting down with a, a lost friend or coworker and telling them how Jesus changed your life. That's called obedience to the gospel. 
Every believer should be doing that. Every believer. So Paul is telling this church, thank you. You've supported the spread of the gospel. You're my partners with the gospel. We are partners in this endeavor. And he tells them, while he's thanking them for their gifts, he says, it's not the gift that I need. What I'm, what I'm happy about, he says, look at verse 17. This is a credit to you. This is a credit to your account. This is counted as your faithfulness to God. God's going to supply my needs. You know what I'm saying? God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And guess what? He owns the hills too. He owns it all. He's going he's to take care of his work and his people. So Paul said, it's not that I need the gift, but it's a, a glory to God because it credits to your account in his eyes. He says, I've received everything. I'm amply supplied. I have an abundance your, your servant, Epaphroditus, the member of your church, you sent him to me. And look what he says in verse 18. That was a, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So God, picture this, God used the church to meet Paul's needs. And then Paul says, and by the way, verse 19, guess what, my God's going to supply your needs. Do you think for a minute, I mean, let's just think about this logically for just a moment. Do we honestly believe, as we, I mean, we, we received an offering today, tithes and offerings. A tithe is what God commands. An offering is something over and above that, that he leads you to give. Do we, let, let's just be honest. If we all were disobedient, and these plates right here on this table were empty. Do you think God's up in heaven shaking in his boots? Oh no, they didn't give. What are we going to do? The church is going to die. You think that's what God's saying? I bet, he's, I bet he would be sad. I bet he would be disappointed at the unfaithfulness of his people but I can tell you one thing, he wouldn't be worried because God's plans and purposes are going to be fulfilled, period. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us to accomplish his purposes. But because he is so gracious and merciful and loving and kind, he chooses to involve us in his work. And we get a blessing because we get to be part of what he's doing. So you can be disobedient to God all you want to be, but guess what's happening? Guess who you're hurting? You're hurting yourself. You're missing out on what God is trying to do through you and bless you by you being a blessing to someone else. It doesn't matter if we are disobedient. I mean, it matters to us. But as far as God's purposes being fulfilled, let me, just, let me tell you something. <laughs> you, you and I, we're not, we're not all that. We're not powerful enough to stop God. So let's just take a reality pill for a minute. None of us is powerful enough 
to cause God's plans to go unfulfilled. God is so good. He's so good to us that he would, he'd let us be part of it. He didn't, he didn't have to do that. You think the God who spoke everything into existence is dependent on whether or not I do what he tells me to do? I'm sure he'd be sad if I didn't, but he's not dependent on it. He's God. He is almighty in every sense of that word. And, and so just picture this for a moment. That same almighty God loves you enough and cares enough about you to let you get in on it and be part of this amazing plan that he's got going. You get to be a part of that. You get to enjoy the blessing of that. You get to see people get saved. You, you get to be a, a vehicle, a conduit for the grace and mercy and love of God when you sit down with that lost friend that needs Jesus and you, and you say, just like the, the blind man did in Acts, hey, I, I, don't know who he, I don't know who he was, but all I know is I was blind and now I can see. If you, say, if you say he's the son of God, all I know is he, he just opened my eyes. Tell somebody. Just, just tell somebody. It, it ought to be enough of an earth-shaking event in your life that you, I, nobody should have to encourage you to share that with somebody because it ought to be that amazing. Y'all hear me? You understand what I'm saying? I, I'm, I'm, I'm really... I am really getting a lot out of this sermon. <laughs> that was funny. I'm getting a lot out of this sermon. Maybe I should just preach it to myself. Because it's, I mean, I, I need this. I need this. God will supply all the needs of the church according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know why? What, what, was, the, what was the song that Amy sang just a moment ago? Somebody's listening. Did you hear that one line? Somebody knows me better than I know myself. You think he's not going to meet your needs? He knows you better than you know yourself. All right, finally. Be content in every situation. Be grateful for the provision of God. And this is almost a footnote, but it's not, because it really is important. Look what Paul says in verse 22. It's almost like he concludes his letter twice, because in verse 20 he says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then, verse 23, he says, Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. But look at verse 22. This is like an undercover little subtle reminder. Hey, guess what? The gospel's working. Verse 22, he says, All the saints greet you. Now, a saint, of course, is believer, follower of Christ. He says, All the saints greet you. So all the people that he is exposed to in his prison cell, so guards, whoever, they greet you. All the, the fellow believers greet you. But then look at the next sentence, the next phrase, verse 22. Especially those of Caesar's household. You know what that means? Not only did the gospel go to Rome and get into the prison, the gospel went to the headman's house. 
The gospel has infiltrated the highest level of the government. Wouldn't that be nice? Caesar's household. Caesar's family. Some of them got saved because of the power of the gospel of Christ and the obedience of Paul to share and the partnership of the church to support. Do you see the, do you see the whole formula? Everybody's got a part. Whether you pray or you give or you go or you uh, have a combination of those things, everybody plays a part in the process. And now there are Christians in Caesar's house. The highest office in Rome. Somebody got saved. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So why do we do these things? We're, we're being content. We're being grateful. We're noticing the partnership of the gospel and its power. D.A. Carson, who's a New Testament scholar, he says it this way, we resolve to pursue these virtues not only because they're good, but because God demands them. And he gives us the grace to live them out. And the result is that God receives the glory. You know, last week, the last two points of last week's message were about thinking the right things and then doing the right things. But you know, we, we can add something to that today. Don't just think the right things and do the right things. Do the right things for the right reason. Thomas Beckett, in his final speech, said these words. The last temptation is the greatest treason to do the right deed for the wrong reason. Where are our hearts? That's really the ultimate question that Paul would pose to us today. Where are our hearts? Are we thinking the right things? And are we doing the right things? And is our motivation gospel-oriented? Are we following Christ because we hope to receive a benefit and that's all we're doing? We're not, our heart's not in it. We're just, well, you know, I know I'll be better off if I do this. I know the retirement plan for the Christmas is pretty sweet. You know, I get to go to heaven for eternity, so that'd be awesome. But I don't really, I'm not really into it. Well, guess what? God knows all that. He knows our hearts. So are we doing the right things with the right heart for the right reason is Jesus Christ your savior doesn't that mean something doesn't that mean something beyond well I gotta, gotta go to church on Sunday the preacher's gonna preach too long gonna make me late for lunch don't feel bad I think the same thing about my preacher I'm hungry then I'm sorry. Don't feel bad. I'm just saying, Jesus is so much more than that. He's so much more for so many reasons. He's worth talking about. He's worth spreading the news. And we, we've, all got, we've all got opportunities. So let's, let's do that.
Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.